Hey, I'm Mark Finn. I'm the associate pastor here at First West. And I, in addition to the associate pastor stuff, I lead us in global ministries and also lead the median adult group, the early 40s to late 60s bunch. And so if you're here today and not uh, and plugged into a life group and you're in that category, I'm the guy you need to talk to. And we want to encourage everybody. Hey, if you're not coming into this room from a life group, boy, there's something you're missing out on. And we want you to be a part of that. Before we dive any further on into the, the, the service, I need y'all to help us out with one thing, please. Um, we, we've gotten pretty, pretty jammed in here. If there is space between you and the middle of the row, could y'all kind of ease th- that way a little bit and just kind of make some space on the ends out there for anybody to get in? Don't get slammed down. I'm not talking about getting jam-packed, but we just need to make it more convenient where some folks that are, can, uh, can slide into the side. And we really appreciate y'all's help with that. Thank you. So for those of you that are new here, and, and this is kind of unusual to you, um, you may not be aware that we are in a renovation right now here at First West, our worship center that can accommodate everybody with plenty of room with your own individual seat uh, is under renovation. It'll be ready uh, 1st of October. So in the meantime, we're worshiping in this venue over in Tennyson Hall and then uh, over in our student uh, Weber worship area over there. So Uh, We have gone from one church in three locations to one church in five locations, and three of those locations are on this campus right here. So thank you all for helping us out with that, but don't let that stop you from inviting people to come. We will do whatever it takes to make more room, and and, and we just want to do it together. So thank you all for helping us out with that. Uh, I want to begin by asking you a question, and that is this. Have you ever been in a situation where if God didn't come through, you had no hope? Ever been in one of those? You know, I, I think most of us have, but I want to forewarn you, if you have not been in one of those situations where if God didn't come through, you have no hope, the odds are greater than less likely that at some point that's going to happen at least once or maybe multiple times. It's just the real world that we live in. There, there are things that happen that come along and, and you know, the Lord Scripture tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust. There are things that happen in all of our lives that are, that are beyond the scope of our control. And it really doesn't matter how um, godly you are, how close to the Lord you are, how far away you are. There are certain things and some things that happen regardless. And that's just kind of the world that we live in. And sometimes we get in a spot where recognizing that, that the Lord is the only hope that we've got. And so as we walk through this sermon series on Moses, and we've called it, you saw the video there, From Basket to Casket, The Unsettled Life of Moses. Moses, an imperfect man, God calls out to lead an imperfect people and, and really to be the people that, that he would choose to bless the nations through. That's a covenant promise that God made that, by the way, is still in effect today. God still has a plan to bless the nations and receive glory from every tribe and people on planet earth. And we're part of that plan today. The way that we fit into that plan is doing what you saw up on the screen, sending teams to go to hard to reach places of the world and come alongside mission partners like there. And we've got some in Germany and we'll uh, be going to Guatemala in a week or so and multiple places around the world where, where the gospel is going forth. And, and we are doing that because God deserves to receive glory from everywhere. And people who don't know him through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, can't give him the glory that he is due. So that's kind of what this is, this is really all about today. And that's where we're aimed with this, this series with Moses. And we, we recognize that his life was unsettled. 
because he wasn't perfect, because he did have challenges, and he had to lead some people that were not easy to, to deal with. So let me get us caught up. Last week, we looked at how Moses and Aaron went back before Pharaoh to relay God's message to let the Israelites go from their captivity in Egypt. You remember Pharaoh refused. And so God told Moses, well, there's going to be a plague. And so it went all the way through nine horrendous plagues that, that the people had to experience there because Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not let the people go. So the 10th plague, Moses goes to warn him about, it will be the death of every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, not just male children, but even the livestock. God was not messing around. He was going to make his point and that was what was going to happen. Well, God provided the Passover plan for his people to be able to protect their own children. And as they complied with that and they were obedient to that, they were safe. He struck dead every firstborn male child in the land of Egypt, including Pharaoh's. And Pharaoh finally said, okay, enough's enough. Moses, take your people, take your stuff, take your livestock, take your possessions, take some gold, silver, and get out, get gone. So there they go. This is the Exodus. That's why we have the book called Exodus. That's this process that is going on now. So God provides for them to lead them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So here we are at Exodus chapter 14 today. And I want to ask that you uh, join me in standing and honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal-Zephon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say to the Israelites, they are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he'll pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, what have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all of the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Egyptians All Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Pi-Hahirath in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, "Is is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for sharing with us and giving us this account of how imperfect people, Lord, you had a plan for them. People that had doubts, people that were weak, Lord, you had a plan for them. 
and that you had a plan to use Moses' faithfulness to, to accomplish you receiving glory. And so, Lord, as we take apart this passage and we look at it, Lord, help us to glean the truth out of it that we need to apply to our lives today for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. As you're being seated, I want you to be ready here to know that today, the, the big idea that we're going for, you can write this down. If you have the First West app open, you can go to it. Uh, it'll have it there for you already. Main idea is that unsettling moments are opportunities to glorify God by displaying real faith. Unsettling moments are opportunities to glorify God by displaying real faith. See, God's going to receive his glory. That, that's, that's the whole point of, of, of verse 4. Right here, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he'll pursue them. Then I'll receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God is going to receive glory. Cover to cover in Scripture, it is the story of God's engaging with people in his redemptive plan so that ultimately he will receive glory from all the nations. That's what this is about. And he can get his glory any way that he wants to. Now, the good news for us and the responsibility for us as believers, and we'll talk about this towards the end, is that we are to give him glory. That's a layup. That's an understood. That's a no doubt about it kind of thing. But make no mistake, he can get his glory any way he wants to from anybody that he wants to get it from, including Pharaoh and the Egyptians that were against him. So, Verses 5 through 9, I'm not going to go back and read them. I'm just going to summarize here. Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about turning loose the Israelites. They, they got the chariots. They got the troops. They chased after them, and they catch up with them. They're camped by the sea. And so they're, they're, really have them, they're, they're boxed in. Now, understand and remember that the Israelite people, they're not a warrior bunch of people. We know later on that obviously they had to fight some battles and stuff in the promised land, but they're not those people yet. They're not prepared for that. These were people that, that, that were, were shepherds by background. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years making bricks. They were the lowest of the low. They were not this mighty force out there. That is not who they, they were. And so they had no military strategy. There wasn't any kind of thinking that would go, hey, we probably ought not get ourselves stuck in this situation right here where we're kind of boxed in. That just wasn't where they were at. But there they were. They were in a, in a fix. And it was a challenge. And so here are coming the, the Egyptians. And so the first point I want you to see today is that unsettled moments often produce fear. Unsettling moments often pr produce real fear. We, we all are going to experience unsettling moments. They can be really challenging. They can be really negative. But you know, there can be unsettling moments that are positive as well, but they require some life adjustments. And it may, just as an example, man, maybe a great job opportunity, but it's in a place that's not where you are right now. It's somewhere different. And that's, that's, a, that's a little bit intimidating. But if it's God's plan, it's God's plan. And so adjustments have to be made. And so it, it can happen for the good. But then there are these times that are unsettling to us because there are problems associated with it. And here are the, the people of the Lord, the Israelite people, and they are facing an overwhelming challenge here. Verse 10, Pharaoh approached. The Israelites look up, and there are the Egyptians coming after them. These people, man, they had walked all this way, 
And now here they are. Well, they're terrified, and they're crying out to the Lord for help. And I just think it's, it's almost kind of, you know, remember, re rewind back. They had already griped at Moses about the whole encounter with the bricks and everything. And, and you know, they kind of ripped him up. And Moses goes to God, and, you know, God, what's up with this man? And God's like, I got this. You're, you're going to be fine. So God has started this, this track record of coming through. He provided for Moses. Remember a couple weeks ago, hey, the staff throws it down, becomes a snake, picks it back up, becomes a staff again, puts his hand inside his, uh, his cloak, pulls it out, it's diseased, puts it back in, it's clean again. He, he's just showing them that, that hey, I, I'm God. I've got this. So he's establishing this track record. And these folks, though, these Israelites are very, they have really short-term memory, right? Now, before we're too hard on them, let's just be honest. If we're there and we're hemmed in and here comes this army after us and we don't see a, a way out, we might be a little fearful as well unless we're highly aware of God's track record. And when God says he's going to do something, it's a done deal and it's going to be all right. Well, they didn't quite have a grasp on that yet. They, they weren't quite ready. And so they say to, to Moses, poor Moses, they didn't say that. I said that. <laughs> they said, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away? In other words, we could have died just as easily back in Egypt, not had to make the long walk. Okay, we, we, we didn't have to come out here to, to get buried and to get, you know, get killed and get dead out here and by, at the hand of these Egyptians. We could have stayed back there. We could have served them and lived out our life and just died slave deaths, however they die, you know, there after making bricks for all their life. And they'd have just been dead. And that'd have been better than dying out here in the wilderness in their mind. There's a real challenge in there sometimes between having a word from the Lord versus what we think or what we, we see or what we think we see. Sometimes there's a difference in that. There's no question that sometimes we face circumstances that seem to be overwhelming. No doubt about that. That happens to all of us. I'm not minimizing the real world effects of unsettling moments that we have to walk through. So what do your Egyptians look like? Or what have they looked like? Just for an example, maybe an unfavorable medical diagnosis. And I know some of you have walked through that. Unexpected loss of someone you care about. We've walked through that together. Maybe disappointment with your job or your kids' decisions. Uh, maybe dealing with somebody who's antagonistic to your faith. Those Egyptians and Red Sea can kind of take a lot of different shapes and sizes and forms in the real world that we live in right now. And they can cause real fears. Well, in those moments... We have to be aware of both how we're feeling, real life emotions, and of what we know about God. And while he doesn't promise to shield us from all the difficulties of this, this life, this side of heaven, he does have a track record with his people. If you're a believer, he has a track record in your life. Do you remember those moments when God answered prayer for you? Do you remember those moments when he provided when there didn't seem to be a way that you couldn't do it on your own? Do you remember what he's done for you and coming through for you and positioning you in situations and having stuff happen that you just didn't see coming? Those are all part of God's track record in your life. That's in addition to the long-term track record that we read about in his word. It's there. There's this covenant in place, again, that through his people, all the nations will be blessed. So this is ongoing as believers 
we're not to live in fear. An initial feeling of fear can be normal, but fear is not to be the posture of our lives as believers. The Bible's consistent about this. I love how Scripture illuminates Scripture. Uh, in the New Testament, Paul wrote to the Romans. Listen to this. It's not going to be on the screen. I want you to hear him write in, in chapter 8. He says, writing to believers, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Daddy. That's the kind of feeling here. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we're God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified in him. For I consider that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That's some good news. And this is from a guy, Paul, who obviously the Lord had radically changed his life, but he didn't give him an easy life. He gave him a challenging life. There were challenges with people. He was beaten multiple times. He was shipwrecked, thrown in prison most everywhere that he went. Uh, he had what we, the Scripture calls a thorn in his side. We don't know the specifics of that, but he asked for relief three times. He didn't get that. Paul did not have an easy life, but he said, hey, all the sufferings that are going on right now, they are nothing. They're not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed. Well, that reminds us of who God is and of our identity as believers, as his children. It reminds us that while we might suffer here, it's nothing compared to the glory that we're going to experience in eternity. We've seen this happen in real time in our family. A lot of you have as well. Um, Ann's dad, my wife, um, uh, he had Alzheimer's. It, it, it was early onset. It happened, you know, really early in his life. And, and it was just a, an incredible uh, challenge. And it was, frankly, it was a disappointment to us, man, a great man, a godly man, you know, just, man, my son, Caleb, Papa was the smartest man in the world, man. He'd follow him around anywhere. And he was just hopefully looking forward to being able to start making those first hunts and getting in the deer stand with Papa. You know, that's what we're looking forward to. And, and Alzheimer's made it where that, that could, that could not happen. And ultimately, um, it, it took him and that was disappointing right now, man. My mom is battling ALS and, and it's, a. Uh, it's a challenging situation, and the circumstances are certainly not what we would choose. I mean, she, her mind is sharp as it can be, but she can't speak. She can't drink. She can't eat. She can't swallow. Has to receive through for a feeding tube. And just, you know, there's a lot of care involved, but man, her spirit is strong, and she's pressing on and going forward. And the only way to process things like that happen, that happen with a godly man like Ann's dad and a godly mama like my mom, and I'm not just saying that because of there are people. I'm telling you, you ask anybody about James Gilbert, and they'll tell you that's a godly woman. You ask anybody about Carolyn Finn, they'll tell you that's a godly woman. I don't like what he had to go through and what she's walking through right now. It is not comfortable in the least. But because of the big picture that we know, that there's coming a day when all of that is done with. Her dad's getting to experience it already. One day, my mom, and then all of us really will as well, where the things that are painful and suffering this side of heaven, they are done away with, and we're in the presence of his glory forever. That's eternal. That's the good news, and that's the hope that we have that, that hopefully helps us to have a perspective when we're faced with the fear that goes along with unsettling moments. So what's our alternative to fear? Second point is this. Unsettling moments provide an opportunity to exhibit real faith. 
unsettling moments provide an opportunity to exhibit real faith. Look at verse 13. Moses said to the people, remember the scared, whiny, complaining, crying, criticizing. Y'all know any people like that? Don't name names. Uh, And he's under it. He's hearing it. And Moses tells them this. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see them again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. Be quiet. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. Be quiet. Which one of those are you the worst at doing? I know. (laughs) I have a hard time being quiet. (laughs) If it's on my mind, it's on my heart, it's obvious to me. It should be obvious to all of y'all. So there it is. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I want to do about it. There it is. And the Lord says, hush. Shut up. I was trying to be careful. Sometimes little kids in here are told they can't say that, so I don't want to get us in trouble with some mamas and daddies. Hush. Just listen. Why? Because he's got it. He's got it. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. Be quiet. The Lord will fight for you. Again, the consistent theme throughout Scripture. Isaiah 41.10. This is about seven, between seven and 800 years later. Isaiah says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous hand. That is a promise from God. That is something that he lays out there and says, you can count on me for this. He's speaking to his people. See, the faith that we can see happen here wasn't the Israelites' faith. Moses is the one that had faith. His prolonged obedience to the Lord, developed confidence in God's track record. So Moses was building his own track record of faithfulness, like we, we should be doing, um, but the people weren't quite there yet. And so when you look at things and you analyze them the way that they would do, maybe you've said this before, and it, if you're in business or you know, have to do anything strategic at all, you, know, you, you, you get out your paper and you, you put things down and, and you might come up with a conclusion. Have you heard this well, on paper, our, our chances don't look so good. You know, sometimes when you're comparing maybe your team against another team and you look at it and you see how big those guys are versus how big our guys are, you go, on paper, we're in big trouble right here. That, that's kind of how it is. Well, that means practically speaking, when you analyze strengths and weaknesses and positives and negatives, uh, here's some good news for you. God isn't working on paper. That's not how he operates, at least not that kind of paper. He has spoken through his word. And so when he has spoken, it doesn't matter what the odds look like. If the Lord's fighting for you, you're on the winning side, be quiet. Do what he says to do. There are times when God uses our circumstances to test us. He does. To to check our faith. He's not being mean or malicious. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to grow in our reliance on him. He wants us to grow in our trust in him. He wants us to grow in our ability to deflect glory to him. That's what he wants us to be able to do. Honest question. What does your faith look like 
in proportion to your fear. Your faith right now in proportion to your fear. If it's a believer, it ought to be way more faith than fear. I want to challenge you to that. So what's the appropriate result of our faith? Or the response that our faith should lead us to as we persevere through unsettling moments. That brings us to point three. Unsettling moments show that God is worthy to be worshipped. God's worthy to be worshipped. Verses 15 through 20, I'm not going to read all the way through it, just kind of summarize here. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Let me just stop right there. Did you hear that? So Moses, obviously, you know, uh, just before that, it talks about how the people were complaining and they were crying. Moses tells them, don't be afraid, be firm, be quiet. What the Lord, you know, what's going on? The next thing the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Apparently Moses was, was, was praying to him just like he had done earlier and before whenever he got, you know, shut down with the confrontation with Pharaoh and the people started complaining again. There was some kind of encounter between the Lord and Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Now, that's an interesting thing. Why wouldn't the Lord want him to cry out to him? Well, it's because the crying out and the answering had already been done. Hey, can we just be honest? Sometimes we try to over-spiritualize things and we say this. Most of us have said this. When we are presented with an opportunity or a possibility or a direction or a focus to go in, even maybe something that the Lord has aimed us to. And our spiritual default response is, hey, let me pray about that. I think I'll just pray about that. And in general, we, we, we certainly ought to be prayerful. But don't use that to duck what it is that God's telling you to do. See, there didn't need to be any more praying going on here. When it's clear what God has said, Praying is no longer necessary about that issue. It's time to do. Do what he said to do. Don't just sit there thinking about it. Act in obedience. So I just want to caution us all because I'm, and I've been there. We've all been there. Don't be flippant with saying, let me pray about it. If you got a direction, get going and trust him with the next step. So there you go. Um, He says, get them going, get them loaded up get moving. Again, the Egyptians are going to know that I'm the Lord and I'll receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and horsemen. So this angel of God uh, who had been going in front of Israel, he goes behind them. He uses this pillar of cloud to, to block the Egyptians from being able to see the Israelites. There's cloud and darkness and it lit up the night. Did you hear that? How does a cloud and darkness light up the night? That's something supernatural. God has to do something like that. But neither group came near the other all night long. So there's these fearful Israelites, and they are not under attack from the Egyptians all night long. God had provided protection for them right there. So then let's look at verse 21 and 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and to their left. What a provision from God. I mean, there they are, they're boxed in. They know that there's an 
insurmountable an enemy that is coming that they can't overcome that is coming after them they are in big trouble next thing you know the water is parted and there's a way out there's an escape and so verses 23-25 tell how the Egyptians, they, they go out in pursuit. Man, all these horses, the chariots, all these horsemen, they go into the sea after them. Remember, now it's dark. Then during the morning watch, the Lord looked down at the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian forces into confusion. And man, they just didn't know what to do. They didn't know which way to go. They were in trouble. And it dawned on them, we're in big trouble because the Lord is fighting for those Israelites. And so, Verse 26 through 28 on the screen says, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back on the Egyptians on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. God's plan, he came through. He provided in spite of overwhelming odds. The Israelites, verse 29 says that they had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on the right and the left, that day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. And over 700 years later, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 63 now recalls God's faithfulness. It says, then he remembered the days of the past, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit among the flock? He made his glorious strength available at the right hand of Moses, divided the water before them to make an eternal name for himself. This is seven to 800 years later, and they're still celebrating. They're still telling the story. They're worshiping the goodness of God and how he had come through for the people. What a great lesson for us. God was setting the stage for his glory to be revealed. The Red Sea, it looked like an obstacle. It looked like a trap, and God turned it into a pathway. Pharaoh's army looked like an unstoppable opponent. God completely obliterated him. He is going to receive his glory. He deserves it. And so God's people recognized his provision for him, and they, they responded by worshiping him. That was the right response. And we're not going to look at it all today, but chapter 15 is the worship song that Moses and the Israelites sang to the Lord. They, they basically put the story to music, and they sang it to the Lord to give him glory. Now, y'all are wondering, okay, now, wh which hymn in the hymnal did, you know, is that? And uh, or was that, was that that kind of a song? Or, you know, was it, a, was it a, a pop rock song? Was it a classic, you know, was it a country song? What kind of song was it? I don't know. It was, it was a song of the people, and it was a song of celebration. They were lifting up their hearts to the Lord, and they were loving it and glory, giving God the glory. And so you read it, no doubt it was about celebration and gratitude and recognition of who God is and what he has done. Let me ask you a couple questions. How fresh is your memory of God's track record of faithfulness in your life? Is his work in your life that he's accomplished for you, is it continuously on your mind? In other words, have you gotten over what he's done for you? 
How do you show gratitude to God? Tell him that you appreciate him? Do you do that through your prayer? Do you do that through your worship? What does your worship of God look like? I'm not talking about just the singing that we do prior to the message. That's, that's an aspect of worship. That's part of it. That's not all of it. It ought to be a healthy and a vibrant aspect of it. But that's not all. It, how we live our life is a reflection of worship. How, how we participate and do the things that God's called us to do. Do you bend your will to conform to his will? Do you tell your story and give him the credit for coming through for you? Or is surrender is your surrender to him and your obedience an act of worship? The overwhelming enemy advancing against God's people will swallow it up. What a beautiful picture. Well, beautiful from our side, not beautiful for them. It had to be a great feeling for God's people to see this, this relief. And we have a New Testament picture of it in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul's writing to the church at Corinth about the resurrection. And he says this, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God calls the water to swallow up the unstoppable enemy of Israel that caused them so much fear. Jesus, because of what he has done for us, death that we rightfully deserve because of our sin is swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where is your sting? Hey, Jesus provides the victory. I want to remind you of the main idea that we started with today. Unsettling moments are opportunities to glorify God by displaying real faith. I want to encourage you, believer, to make sure that your faith is given testimony, is given glory to God, the way that you live out your life, the way you lived out what he's called you to do. Man, display your faith. Give him glory. And remember the question that I asked at the beginning of the message. Have you ever been in a situation where if God didn't come through, you had no hope? Well, whether or not you could remember any of life's circumstances that fit into that category, the answer to this question for every one of us is yes. Because of our sin, we were under a death sentence. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. John 3.18, remember right after John 3.16, 3.18 says anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Prior to Jesus coming into our life, us receiving him, believing in what he has done, believing in who he is and receiving him, which means believing that truth and then choosing to act on it and repenting of our sin and allowing him to take over our life. Prior to that happening, we live under condemnation. We are without hope unless God did something great for us. And he did through Jesus Christ. We've all been in a situation where if God didn't come through, we had no hope. Jesus did it. The first part of 3.18, John 3.18 says, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Well, that's good news. If you're a believer, you know that. Because of Jesus and only through Jesus, our sin is swallowed up in victory. He conquered sin, death, and the grave on our behalf and for God's glory. But you can't really give him glory if you haven't given him your life. Believe in Jesus. Receive Jesus. Walk with him. And know that kind of victory. I want to ask that you bow right now.
in the quietness of this moment. And if you're a believer in Jesus, you know what to do. Man, you've been evaluating. Man, is your, is your life, is the way that you worship, is it really uh, reflecting a life of faith? Or is your worship being inhibited or even blocked because of fear? Man, as believers, grab hold. Grab hold through faith in the power that comes to the Lord. Right now, in the quietness of this moment, would you just thank the Lord for those things you remember that he has done for you, those places and times when it was unmistakable that he came through? If you're not sure where you stand with the Lord right now, I want to ask you to do this. I want you to be honest and, and, and hear this truth that without Jesus in your life, you have no hope. You have none. But that's not what you were created to live in and live under is in a hopeless situation. Because of God's great love for us, he sent his son, Jesus, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His son was sacrificed to pay the sin debt that we couldn't pay. And Scripture says that as many as received him, to those he gave the right to become children of God. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. Believing in something with your heart means you believe in it so strongly that you're willing to let it change the way you live your life to conform with that truth. Today, right where you sit, I want to invite you to do that. Would you just, in the quietness of this moment, your heart to God's, just acknowledge that he is God and that you know that Jesus is his son and you need his forgiveness today and you receive it today and you choose to live life his way from this day forward. Just express that in your heart to God's. And know that we're going to help you know what to do next. Okay? We're not going to leave you hanging on that. But you need to know what it looks like to live a life that is full of hope and not hopeless. And Jesus came to give you hope. Father, I thank you for this truth. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that in unsettled moments of life, Lord, rather than fear, we can exercise our faith and watch you come through and give you the worship that you rightfully deserve. God, forgive us when we have not worshiped you to the extent that you deserve to be worshiped. Lord, forgive us for holding back any part of our worship from you in any way. Whether it's our, our obedience, our service, our giving, our participation in your kingdom plan, whatever it is, Lord, forgive us for that and free us up, Lord, to be able to go all in with faith, through faith, and give you glory and make sure that people that don't know this truth get it as well. God, we lay this before you today and we worship you in Jesus' name, amen.